Hey there, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, your place for weekly sermons, church updates, and more. You're currently tuning into our weekly sermon cast, so grab a pen and notebook or get your notes app ready, and let's dive right into it. My name is Ashley. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, before we get into the word, I do have a couple shout outs that I was, um, uh, I want to make and then I'll, a few I was told to make. So um, first, uh, this is not one I was told to make, but I just always want to thank Pastor Craig and Rochelle for leading this church in such a way uh, that affords all of us the opportunity to lead with our giftings. So thank you to them. I know they're not in the room, but I suspect maybe they're watching online first or second service. So thank you so much for your guys' sacrifice for paving the way for us. Um, it's huge. Secondly, this one is the one I was told to make. Um, yesterday I had um, one of the girl's friends over and um, to Aubrey, our friend, and Elsie, my youngest daughter, uh, came in the room uh, towards the end of their time of playing together and they said, hey, um, we know you're preaching tomorrow. And so we want to give you a manicure and a pedicure. And I was like, wow, how sweet of you to honor me like that. And then halfway through, they're like, hey, uh, you need to make sure you tell everybody that we did this. Um, And so I don't know. Can you get a close-up of these nails? Um, They did my feet too. And they did it with such servants' hearts, so I thought. Uh, But listen, they told me to tell you that they are in business. And so... I said, it'll go a lot further if you're raising money for like missions or something. And uh, they said, we'll think about it. But we only, yeah, we'll think about it. And, uh, but here's what you need to know, ladies. They only have five colors, all these, okay? And so if you're doing it, it's also an act of service for you too. Um, All right, and lastly, um, I just want to publicly apologize to my grandmother, who um, I think she watches online six months of the year, okay? And I'll tell you why I think that. She goes to church every week. She has a home church where she lives. She's very involved in her... um, in her Sunday school class, she's, she's just very involved in church, but she also, six months of the year, I think, watches this church. And um, the reason why I think that, and I know that, is because it is, it is no secret. She thinks it's a secret, but it is no secret that she has a massive crush on Pastor Craig. <laughs> a massive crush. And if you're watching, Grandma, I know. Um, <laughs> So I'm sorry that it's not Pastor Craig this morning. But I know this because I visited her in March, okay? And um, we were just talking. And I was like, Grandma, are you still watching online? Because often she would text me um, and she would tell me about the message. She'd be like, Pastor Craig did a great job today. I'm like, yeah, I know he did. I know you thought he did too. And um, so she would tell me, you know, a little bit about the message. So I knew she was tuning in. And then it kind of stopped. And then when I visited her in March, I was like, hey, are you still watching online, Grandma? And she said, you know, no, um, I have, I've taken a few months off, you know, and so, um, but I'll be getting back on it soon. And then I realized it's March. So she probably stopped watching around the time that it became sweater weather. And no longer was Pastor Craig preaching in short sleeve shirts. And so 
I suspect she's probably tuning in today thinking it's still hot outside. And so he's probably in his t-shirt. Listen, she's 83 years old. She's been single for 41 years. Cut the woman a break. Let her look at some brown biceps while she listens to the word of God. You don't get that today though, grandma. I'm so sorry. So sorry. All right. Listen, we're talking through the series of Galatians. We're talking about being free. And um, I get the honor of talking about Galatians chapter 2, which Galatians chapter 2, is it has a lot of carryover from Galatians chapter 1. So if you were here last week, um, there's a lot of similarities in the very first part of, of chapter 2 to chapter 1. Because chapters are just man-made breaks in the word of God. And so it's like Paul was continuing his thought in chapter 2. So I was like... I. Pastor Craig really kind of preached all of my content for the most part. And so I was thinking, how am I going to bring him something fresh? And so um, I decided to do sort of like an exegetical-ish type message. So I'm going to kind of break down verse by verse chapter 2 and give you some context, some historical context, some um, context within the, the context of what we're talking about. Because if you've read Galatians, um, maybe you were like me and you thought, this is a very wordy letter. Uh, Paul wrote this letter with a lot of words. I think maybe he was trying to reach a word count for an essay for school because he uses a lot of the same words repetitively and it gets a little bit confusing. So my hope and my prayer is that I can kind of demystify the words a little bit and give you some context because there is some rich, deep truths as with all of the books of the Bible also in Galatians. So we're going to start with Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll pause every now and again to kind of give you some context. And then at the end, I'll give you what you're used to, like the three points, how can we stay free. It's going to be a good morning, right? Yeah. All right. So if you're ready, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, are you ready? If, they're not, if they say no, say get ready, because here we go. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it'll be on the Sky Bible, which is that thing (laughs) right there. All right, okay, chapter 2, verse 1. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. All right, so chapter 2 is where... Paul is going to the area of Galatia, okay, um, and he is about to talk to some people that are already Christ followers, okay? So if you're in the room and you're already a Christ follower, this letter applies to you. And if you're not, my prayer is at the end, you would realize why being a Christ follower is really the best way to be or to go, um, So in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he's talking about, he's going to this area. He was sent to this area because of a revelation. So I want to give you a little historical context. That revelation was actually from a man, a prophet, named Agabus. Okay, and Agabus, translated, means locust. That's awful. That is an awful name. But he was a man of God, and so we love him. Um, But Agabus... um, he prophesied that there was going to be a famine in the land. And so what we know is that when Jesus died and he resurrected and the church became the church, what we know it as today, there was a lot of different types of 
there was a lot of different beliefs, okay? So there were people, there were Jewish Christians that said, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, and um, anybody is welcome to follow and love Jesus, whether you are a Jew or you're not. And that was Paul's stance. He said, no matter where you are in life, no matter what, who you are, no matter how you've been affiliated before, you have the right and the opportunity to follow Jesus. And then there were groups of people that had been Jewish their whole life, and they thought, this is ludicrous. We can't just let anybody in to this group. We can't. And so they, they formed what we like to call, I like to call, the circumcision club, okay? And so Jewish people, I'm so glad that Pastor Craig got to cover circumcision. <laughs> or maybe uncover circumcision, I don't know. Um, but he got to talk about it, all right? And so we're just gonna refer to it as the circumcision club, okay? And so these people, they said, we love Jesus, we believe he's the Messiah, but unless you become Jewish, you can't make it into heaven. Unless you join the circumcision club, you can't make it into heaven. And let me just be clear, the circumcision club was not just being circumcised. It was all the rules. It was all the things that, that was what was defined as Jewish. You had to participate in those. You had to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. And then there were some people that were kind of in the middle. And they were like, I really like what Jesus came and died for. And I believe that he died to, to, to tear the veil so that no man could be separated from him if they choose to make him the Lord and Savior of their life, that they can have that. But I'm also Jewish. And I've grown up with these customs, with these ways of life. And I'm, they're very rooted in me. And so I'm kind of conflicted. I don't know, I don't know what to believe. I don't know how to walk. I don't know what is true. And so we have, what we have here in this area, in this time, is a lot of tension. And some of it wasn't good. Some of it was really negative. But a lot of it was like, I'm really trying to understand and just walk through this. And that's very much like what we have today. We have a lot of people that would say, I love Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but you know what? Uh, there are some things that, like, that are just like innate to me. I feel like they've been ingrained in me. I feel like I grew up in a religion where certain things were very important and I, I'm having a hard time separating myself from the religion. And so when all of this happened, there was a whole group of people that... Um, they decided they were just gonna like share everything. Like this was, I guess you would call it a denomination, all right? And so they were, they loved Jesus. They were all ascribed to Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah and their way of life was like holy communal, like holy communal. So they would say, whatever we have belongs to the community. And that because of that, they lived pretty impoverished because everything they got, they gave back to the community that they were a part of. And so Agabus, locust, had, had a prophecy that there was gonna be a famine in the land and he knew of these people, this group of people that already lived by very little means. And he said, they're not gonna make it because they don't, have, they don't have a storehouse. They don't have what they need to make it through the famine. And so God sent Paul and Barnabas and a man named Silas with a collection that they had taken up and they, he sent him to this area. So that's how he got where he was going. 
was because the man of God said, this is where you're going. And sometimes this is how it works with us. We don't know why, we don't know the real reason why we're going somewhere. We're tasked with something. And then when we get there, then it becomes obvious, ah, it wasn't really about the offering. That was important. I needed to bring this money to those people. It wasn't really about that. It was about something much bigger. And so take heart. If you feel like your relationship with Jesus and your walk with Jesus is very minuscule and it's just contractual, listen, God has a bigger plan for your life. And he is sometimes sending you out on a little mission to reveal to you the big mission. And so when he gets there, this is when he starts writing this letter because he sees what's happening. He sees the division. He sees, he sees people uh, having all of this tension. And he's like, I need to set the record straight. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter two. So let's go on to, to verse three. I'm gonna be faster. I need to be faster. I'm gonna be faster. Okay, so verse three, here we go. Yet not even, okay, wait a second. Okay, here we go. So he went in response to the revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. What he's talking about here is he was going to this area where he knew the pillars of the faith were, okay? There was James, there was John, and there was Peter. You know them? They were the disciples. They were three of the disciples, and they spent a lot of time with Jesus. And so in this time, after Jesus had left, they were considered kind of like Christian celebrities. Like people all wanted to know what they thought because they spent the most time with Jesus, up close, personal. And so Paul's, Paul's story is that he's going around and he's preaching and he's saying, no matter whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, no matter what your walk in life is, you have a place in the kingdom of God. And so he wanted to go to these three men who had spent such close time with Jesus and he wanted to say, he was gonna say, um, you agree with that? You think that's a good message to be preaching? And you see in him a little bit of internal conflict because part of him, he's very confident. Like, I know this is the message that God has given me to preach. I know everyone is allowed into the kingdom of God. But then there's also this like, but I also need my homies to have my back. Because I don't, I don't know if they really agree with me and I kind of just want to make sure they agree with me because everybody listens to them. And so if everyone listens to them, I need to make sure that they agree with me so that my message can make it out and that it's not done in vain. And so here's where we pick up, verse three. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So he meets with Peter, James, and Paul, or he meets with Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, uh, this is my gospel, and I brought with me Titus. Okay, Titus, uh, to give you a little bit of a picture of who Titus was, he was a gangster, pretty much, like a modern-day gangster. He was from an area called Crete, and he was Greek, and so what you imagine of a Greek gangster today is what a Greek gangster would be back then, okay? He was big, he was burly, he probably had some sort of prison tattoo. And so he was, he was buff. And so Paul brought him because he was, he was a Gentile. Titus was a Gentile who had, who had accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he wanted to say, listen, this guy, does he need to be circumcised? Does this guy need to convert to Judaism? 
Does this guy need to follow all the laws? And Peter, James, and John, I don't know if they said, no, he doesn't because they were afraid of what might happen, or if they just said, you know what? No, I see his character. I see the kind of man he is. I see that he really believes that Jesus is the Messiah, so no. We, we agree with you, Paul. Anybody can enter into the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to join the circumcision club. But you have to remember that they were still Jewish, okay? And so I think that sometimes what we forget is that Paul, James, John, Peter, they were all still Jewish. They still followed the Jewish calendar. They still had the Jewish parties. They still, they still ate sometimes the way Jewish people ate. And so they, were in, they also were having a struggle, like this is what we thought would get us into heaven, and now we know it's not, and so we have to separate those two. And here's what is so interesting about us is we are the exact same way. We are the exact same way. When we come to know Jesus, it's a little different for, for some of us because maybe we didn't grow up in religion, which by the way, religion, the word religion is not innately bad. That's not a bad thing. We've kind of made it have a bad connotation because of how, how we do it. But religion is not a bad thing. It's when the because religion is like the works and the process of following the God that you serve. And so there are things that we do in order to serve our God, not that it is more important than serving our God. What makes religion bad is when we say we are only saved because we do these things. And that is not the way it works. We are saved because he came and he died and he rose again and he gave his life as a sacrifice. It's no sacrifice we could ever do. We can't do it. And so religion becomes bad when we say, you know what? We have to read our Bible 10 minutes a day or we're going to hell. Religion is saying we have to worship God every day. We have to sing praise and worship songs for 45 minutes every day as we get ready or we're not good enough. We're not gonna make it. Praying, reading your word, worshiping, it's all part of following Jesus, but it is not the way to Jesus. Is that making sense? But that's what they were dealing with too, is they were like dealing with the works versus the God who created them and, and the way. And so when, when Paul, or when James, John, and Peter all said, all right, Paul, your message is good. We like your message, keep preaching your message. We're on mission to preach to the fellow Jews about Jesus and he is the only way and we don't have to do all these works in order to be saved. But you go and you preach to the Gentiles. And sometimes we have a different mission but our message is the same. And so Peter, James, and John, their message was to preach to their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters and Paul's message was to go out and talk to the people that didn't think they could ever attain a life with Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves here. He got the seal of approval, okay? And, um, and what happens is they gave him, hold on, let me find the actual term for it because it's pretty epic, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ex, um, I'm gonna show you what it looks like. Okay, so they gave him the right hand of fellowship, which means they basically signed off on it. Now, um, I need a volunteer real quick uh, just to come up. Run, run, run. Daphne, come here. I'm gonna show you what the seal, what is it? The right hand of fellowship is, okay? Because I study this 
all week, all right? The right hand of fellowship, make sure you get a close-up on these nails, okay? The right hand of fellowship is you put out your right arm, right hand of fellowship, and you would think it's a handshake. Wrong. It is grabbing the forearm, grab the forearm, okay, and you just shake it ever so slightly, and you stare intently, stare intently into my eyes. There we go. See that? That is the right hand of fellowship, ladies and gentlemen. And so... Real quick, because exegetical, you're good, you're good, you're good. Because exegetical preaching is sometimes dull, turn to your neighbor and practice the right hand of fellowship. Practice it, just 30 seconds or less. Definitely less than 30 seconds. But you have to get the eye contact. Stare intently into the eyes. That seals the deal. The eyes are the portal to the soul. There you go. And Jewish culture was just that. They said, all right, Paul can't stare intently into my own eyes, which is why I had to show you. But it was like this. <laughs> Preach your message, bro. Preach your message. And so he did. And when they did that, Paul talks about how he's like, oh, he, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna read it, but it says in there that it didn't matter what they said to me. I was gonna do it anyway. But we all know that Paul was like, Okay, yeah, I got the seal of approval. I'm on my way, I'm doing it. But you know what, it didn't matter. If they didn't say, if they didn't say it was good, I know God gave it to me, I'm gonna do it anyway. And um, so he was stoked. He was stoked that these three celebrity type of men were like, yes, we stand behind that. And we say that that is what God came to do. He sent Jesus to do just that. And so uh, here we go, we're moving on. Yeah, he said, whatever they say makes no difference to me. That's not true, Paul. That's not true. All right, okay. So they saw that, that he was in, that they had been, that he had been entrusted with this message and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And in, in verse nine, it picks up, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. So that was it. He didn't add anything to the message. He made sure to let us know that. The, these guys, they didn't add anything to my message. My message was good. It was sound. It was right. They didn't add anything to it, but they did remind me to drop off that offering. Okay? <laughs> so they're like, hey, don't forget, you came here with an offering for the people and you need to make sure they get it. That's all they did. And he said, that, I was eager to do that. I was going to do that anyway. Don't worry. I was, I was on it. Verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Okay, remember this? This is the guy that he needed approval from, Peter. And now it's like he's got this both, like this courage. He's like, all right, Peter said my message was good. So now watch this. Peter, you're wrong. You're doing something wrong. And... Um, I think we read this sometimes and we're like, I don't know, maybe we have two different thoughts. Maybe we're like, go Paul. But I think sometimes we're like, Paul? Like, why are you calling this guy out? Like this, you're gonna, you're gonna see, like, why are you calling this out? This, is, this makes me feel uncomfortable. But here, let me tell you something. We all need to be called out. We all need to be held accountable. We all need people in our life that we trust to say the hard things to us. And we receive it and not get offended or get bitter 
as Christ followers, the, one of the ways we stay free, I'm skipping ahead, this is great, um, is that we allow people to speak into our life because if we don't, we're gonna get caught up in religion again. We're gonna get caught up in our, like, our own way of thinking and we're gonna forget about the big picture. We're gonna forget, we're gonna get single-minded. We're gonna get sidetracked. And so we need people in our life that are gonna say, hey, I love you, but I'm seeing some stuff. And then call it out. So this is what Paul does. He's, he's courageous now. He's going before Peter and he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision party. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, my homeboy Barnabas, was led astray. And so you see here the tension that I'm talking about. Peter agreed that Paul was right, that Jews and Gentiles alike could, could, could get saved and follow Jesus and be, be Christ followers. They, they agreed on that. But James, who also agreed on that, was very rigid in his faith. And we see evidence of that here because he, he was kind of like, I agree they can go to heaven. I agree that they can be saved, but I'm not gonna eat with them. I'm not gonna talk to them. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dabble and mingle with them because I'm very rooted in my Jewish traditions. Wow. Some of us are the same way. Like I know when I first got saved, I think I, I kind of like went from one end of the spectrum to the other because I was like, do whatever you want, whenever you want. But then I got saved and I was like, follow all the rules, do all the things, all the time, don't mess up, don't stop. Like it was obnoxious. And some of us are the same way. We're like, I don't talk to non-Christians. I don't, I don't try to make time to go to eat with them. I... um. I work with people that don't know the Lord and I literally don't even say two words to them. I smile at them because I'm a Christian, but I don't talk to them. I don't engage with them because what they're doing is wrong. And I have my ways. Can I tell you, you're still probably going to heaven. I don't know how all of that works. You're still going to heaven because you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but that's a terrible way to live your life. And I can tell you that because I've been there and I've secluded myself and I've said, you know what, us four no more. Like, we're the holy tribe. We got this. We're the circumcision club and I can join that club because I don't have to get circumcised. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying. That's a terrible way to live though. Because God commands us, Jesus commands us, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So while you may be going to heaven, you're not taking anybody with you. That's lonely. And that's sad. And I've been there. So this is coming from my own pit of misery, okay? So he calls Peter out because Peter is eating. He's, it's like, I just imagine it. They're like sitting at a picnic table and they're like eating some bread and some um, olives because, you know, that's what grows there. And they're just eating. And then all of a sudden, James walks up with his guys. And, and um, James is related to Jesus. 
okay? And so I feel like James might have carried even more clout than maybe Peter and John because he was a literal relative of Jesus. And so James walks up and, you know, he's kind of the way he is. And Peter's like, um, I'll be right back. I'm just, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And he gets up from sitting with the Gentiles. He goes to the bathroom and then he finds a different picnic table to sit at. And then slowly, one by one, the Jewish people just stop eating with the Gentiles. I don't know if that's how it happened, but that's how I imagine it. And it's sort of like in the lunchroom at school. Like when the cool person walks in and invites you to come sit at their table and you, you totally just are like, all right, peace out, guys. Like I'm going to go sit with him because he invited me to sit at his table and yeah, see ya. Like, but Paul isn't afraid to call out Peter. And he says, what are you doing? You believe the same message I do. And here you are not living it out. You're being a hypocrite. And man, that hit me hard when I was reading this. Um, so here's what it says in verse 14. When I saw that we were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, you're a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, meaning he eats with the Gentiles, he hangs out with them, he's not as rigid on all the things you have to do as a Jewish person. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and I don't know if in your Bible it has little like parentheses around that, but Paul's being sarcastic. Um, he's like, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, because he knows we're all sinners, right? He knows he's a sinner. He knows Peter's a sinner. Nobody is not a sinner in this situation. He knows. But he's saying, you, you just call them Gentile sinners because they they're not circumcised and they don't do all the things Jewish people do. They're sinners, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. This is what I'm talking about. A lot of justified, a lot of the law, a lot of observing. Okay, so let me break it down for you. Because this is important. This is where Jewish culture becomes very important because he's talking to a Jewish person. So you have to understand the Jewish culture in this in order to fully grasp what Paul is saying to Peter in this moment, okay? He says this. He says that we are not justified. What does it say? One second. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Okay, what does justified mean? Justified means exonerated, okay? So when they're talking about justification, they're talking about a Jewish um, way of life in which, okay, so for example, this is, this is the example that I read for being exonerated in Jewish culture, okay? Say that you murdered a person, okay? Just imagine it. Don't imagine the person because that gets too real. Okay, say you murdered a person and, they, and one person saw you, okay? So you didn't get away scot-free and so they saw you and they brought you into a Jewish court of law, okay? The judge would then say, okay, witness, come forward and say what you saw. So they would. They would come forward and they would say, I saw, you, I saw that you killed that person, 
And then they would say, are there any other witnesses? And by Jewish law, if there were no other witnesses, you were justified. You were exonerated, meaning you were let go. If nobody else saw it, because there had to be at least two witnesses to your crime. And so what it's saying is, you sinned, you messed up, but you get to get off just as if you never did. That's what justification is. That's what exoneration is. It doesn't mean you didn't commit the crime. It means you're getting away with the crime as if you never did. So what he's saying is, we all have been justified. We all have sinned. We all have messed up. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he said, it is if, it is if you had never sinned. When you put your life and your trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't say you have not sinned ever. It's not wiping the slate clean in that way. It's saying, we know you've sinned. We know you've messed up. We know you've fallen short, but you are going to be justified and it is going to be as if you never did. And so he's telling Peter, you have been justified. And we know that we're not justified by the works of the law. What are the works of the law? The law refers to the Torah. And the Torah is in our Bible, actually. It's the first five books of the Bible. That is the Jewish law that Jewish people followed, was the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They followed those five books of the law. Okay, so he says, you're not justified by the laws of the Torah. You're justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is you cannot earn your exoneration. There is no meal you can eat or not eat. There's no task you can do or not do. There's no person you can sit with or not sit with that will cause you to inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, it is the exact opposite. There is nothing that we, you and I can do to inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what Peter, that is what Paul is telling Peter. You know this. You know this, but yet you're living as if your worship will get you into heaven. You're living as if your devotionals will get you into heaven. You're living as if you, it is only because of the amount of hours that you serve other people that will get you into heaven, and that is not how it works. The only thing that gets you into heaven is your faith in Jesus Christ by saying, I believe that you are the son of man, that you came and you died for my sins and I choose to follow you and I choose to live for you every day of my life. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. That is, that is the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you hear us talk a lot about serving and, and, and being in life groups and giving back and all of that stuff. And, and that, this is the tension, is that it's all very important for others to experience the kingdom of God. But if you solely say, I'm going to heaven because I give over 10%, you're wrong. You're going to heaven because you've put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we live in such a way that those are the fruits of our salvation, not the evidence of. Does that make sense? It's confusing to me, so I'm glad you guys are getting it. All right. So he, he says this to Peter. And you know what? Peter was like, bro, you're right. You're right. I have, I have somehow experienced the death 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the Messiah. I have witnessed it firsthand. I've seen it. I have somehow seen all of this, and yet in the day-to-day life, I have begun to take a life that was set free, and I have begun to put barriers in between me and the Messiah slowly, one by one. And that's what can happen to us. And so how do we stay free? How do we stay free? Because if we know the basis is like we're saved and we are set free because we believe in Jesus, how do we keep those good things from being our God thing? How do we keep those good things from being barriers in between us and the Savior? How do we utilize the good things without making them our God and our works of salvation? How do we stay free? All right, I'm gonna give you three, three things, okay? This is where you take notes, I think, if you, if you take notes. Number one, remember, it's not about us. It's not about us. When we give our life to Jesus, the Bible says we have to choose to daily surrender. Daily surrender our life. It's no longer about us. It's no longer about what we want. It's no longer about uh, our will. It is God's will. Paul goes on to say that I have been crucified with Christ, meaning when I gave my life to him, I laid down my life. And I said, God, whatever you wanna do with my life, I will trust you. It's no longer about us. And when we make it about us is when we start to say, I can earn my way into heaven. I can do all of these things and I will be saved. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. So you cannot be good enough. It's not about you. It's about what he did for you. When it talks about, when he, when he says this line in Galatians chapter two, he says this. Let me find it. I'm sorry, guys. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in my body, I live by faith in the son of God. Our English version says by faith in the son of God. But when you translate that back into the original Greek, it's not our faith in the Son of God. It is a phrase that essentially equates to, it's not us. It's not our faith in God. It is God's faithfulness to us. We live this way because God is faithful to us. Not because we're faithful to him. He was faithful to us. He did it all for us. It's not about us. How do you stay free? Remember, it's not about what you've done. It's about what he did. It's not about us. Number two, remember that you are enough. You are enough. This takes me back to Genesis. Pastor Craig talked about Genesis last week in such a beautiful way. I'd never seen it that way. And so I was like reflecting on that this week. And it's so true that Adam and Eve were kind of the first example of what religion can do to us when we use it the wrong way. And so when God made creation, after everything he made, do you remember what he said? It is good. And after, after he made man, what did he say? It is very good. It is very good. You are enough. If the creator of the universe said, That's very good. 
That is very good. You are enough. And I think so oftentimes we look at our lives, we look at our relationship with Jesus, we look at our Christian walk and we say, it's not good enough. You, you, you alone, just you are enough. Not your works, not your habits, not your goals, just you. He didn't come and die and rise again and sacrifice his life so that he could have your good 2023 goals. He just wants you. And you are enough. Wow, is this countercultural or what? Because I'm telling you, I've heard so many talks about how we need to have goals. And yes, we need to have goals. And we need to do good things. And yes, we need to do, we need to do good things. But at the root of who we are, we are miraculous. We are created with purpose. We, are, we have breath in our lungs and a life to live. And you are enough. You're enough. I love this name for, for God, um, El Shaddai. And there's, there's different ways that people translate it. But I was listening to, um, I think actually maybe I was reading a book. Or listening to a podcast. I don't know. I, it all muddles together for me sometimes. But I was listening to somebody that knows a lot about Jewish words. And they were saying that El Shaddai actually like isn't a word at all. It's like in the Jewish language, like there's no real way to describe it. And so in the Jewish culture, what they've come to describe it is the God who knows when to say enough. And that reminds me of in Genesis when God was creating creation, when he created man and then he created woman, what did he do the next day? He rested. He said, all of this that I've created, it's enough. And we also have the ability to create inside of us because we were made in the image of God. So we are, we are creations that create. And where we get it twisted is that, when we, is that sometimes we don't know when to say that is enough. Have you ever been, I, I remember in art class, I would um, like draw something uh, and it looked really good. But then I'd have this harebrained idea to add a few more things, and it went from really good to really bad. It's because we don't know how to say, that's good, that's enough. And we do the same thing in our walk with Christ. We don't know how to stop and say, I am enough, you are more than enough. And instead, we add things to our plate we add things to our plate. We add things to our plate. I, I uh, came up with these little sayings. Um, one of them, you know. The rest of them I made up, okay? Um, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If, he'll, if he can't make you bad, if he can't make you sin, he'll try to make you busy because we think we're not enough. If he can't make you a criminal, he will try to make you comfortable, because we don't think we, we just keep going. There's gotta be an easier way. There's gotta be an easier way. There's gotta be an easier way. If he can't make you stumble, he will try to make you self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about me. Mm. 
If he can't make you an opposer of Christ followers, he will try to make you an imposter of Christ followers. Yikes. Okay. Number three. We trust. Number three. What it, where am I? Number three. Remember to trust God. Remember to trust God. I think sometimes we fall into this trap that Peter, James, and John fell into because ultimately we forgot the God that we serve and the power that he has. He's God, we're not. Remember to trust God. So I was listening to, um, I was at a conference this week with a few of you guys, and um, Dr. Henry Cloud wrote a book called Trust, and he broke down, like, what it is that causes us to trust somebody. And so I want you to write these down because they were so good for me. I put them in my message last minute. Okay. We trust someone who we feel understands us. We trust someone who we feel understands us. Some of us don't trust God because we feel like he does not understand us. And so when was the last time you talked to God about the hard things? Because in the Bible it says this, we, we feel he doesn't understand us because we don't hear him. We don't experience him anymore. He feels far from us, so we've lost trust in him. He's not, he doesn't feel right there. But the Bible itself says this, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. Proverbs 18, 13. So if you're expecting an answer from him, what do you have to do? You have to talk to him. You have to tell him. Maybe even tell him why you don't trust him. He's not gonna answer till you talk to him. He said it in his word. That's rude and stupid. He doesn't go back on his word. When was the last time you talked to him so that you could regain trust in the God of the universe who created you and says, you're enough? Reason two, we don't trust people. We trust, or reason two, why we trust someone. We trust someone when we have peace about their motives. God's motive has always been for you to be whole and to have a full life. John 10, 10, that's why this church exists. Because Jesus came that we may have life and life to the full. That's his motive for you. His motive is pure. His motive is good. His motive is righteous. You can trust the motives of your father. Number three, we trust someone who we feel can pull off what we have entrusted to them. This one is hard for me. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? When we trust God, he reveals time and time again that the impossible through him becomes the inevitable. Every single time. Do you trust that he can do what you're asking of him? Do you trust that he can deliver your family from sickness? Do you trust that he can break the addiction in your life or in your family member's life? Do you trust that he can financially provide for you? Do you trust that when you step out in faith, he's not gonna let you fall, he's gonna catch you? Do you trust that he's gonna repair what is broken in your life? Have you entrusted it to him? Remember 
to trust God. Number four, we trust someone who has a noble character. I really didn't have any side notes for that. Because God is the definition of noble character. Every time I open my word and I read it, I see time and time again the noble character of our Father. Number five, we trust someone who has a proven track record. This is, that, this is the psalm that I um, jumped the gun on, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. He has a proven track record. And when you don't see it, or you don't taste it for yourself, then we rely and we borrow some faith on some people that are around us, that we are perceiving God move in their life in incredible ways. You know what? We get jealous of what God's doing in other people's lives, and instead we need to say, more of it for you, and let me have some of it for myself. But this is, I'm preaching to myself right now. I often see God moving in miraculous ways in other people's lives. And I say, you know what? What have they done to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. And so what we need to say is, yes, that is incredible. Because I love that I can see God working in your life because I have a situation too. And I need to borrow some of that faith that God's going to come through in my situation. I need to borrow some of that faith that God's going to say, you know what, Ashley, today is the day. Man, taste and see that the Lord is good. The tasting will come. Maybe you need to remember that taste. Have you ever had something that tasted so good or so bad that you cannot forget about it? And there's certain things that will trigger that taste for you. I'll tell you one for me, asthma. Asthma has a taste, okay? And as a child, I had childhood asthma. And there is a taste that comes in your mouth when you're having an asthma attack. I don't know if it's because of the medicine or because your taste buds are drying out because your brain's shriveling up. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, there's a taste for asthma. And I've said this to people before. I said, this tastes like asthma. And they're like, you are wackadoodle, wackadoodle. But the same goes for good things, right? There's some things that you're like, I, you can have such a good experience with a food that you search for it everywhere you go. Like I love cheesecake. I love cheesecake. The trouble is most places don't know how to do cheesecake. Doesn't stop me from ordering it because I'm hoping to get that taste again. And that's how our God works, right? When you taste that he is good, you can't help it. Everywhere you go, every situation you're in, like, let me taste that again, God. Let me experience that again, God. I know that the last time I didn't experience it the way I was hoping to experience it, that one time that I experienced it, but let me try again, God. Let me order it again, God. Let me have faith again, God, because I know you taste perfect. <laughs> Better than cheesecake better than cheesecake. All right, so I told you how to trust God. I told you to remember that it's not about us, remember that you're enough, and to remember to trust God. It's all well and good, Ashley, but how do you practically do these things? Okay, 
Remember, what's the first one? Do you remember? It's not about us. How do we practically do this? I'm gonna give you um, some practical right now steps for staying free. And if you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it, okay? Number one, remember that it's not about us. How do we do that? Go to Growth Track. I'll make the connection for you, okay. Go to Growth Track, because in Growth Track, you hear about our church, which is all fine and good, but then you hear about giftings that people have, and then you start to wonder, do I have a gifting? And then you find out, oh wait, I do have a gifting. And then you have an opportunity to employ your gifting. Spoiler alert, everyone has a gifting. Spoiler alert, the way that you remember it's not about you is to put yourself in situations where it's not about you. So when you figure out what your gifting is, you use that gifting. Because remember, you are enough. And you say, I am going to stand in the parking lot and wave with a goofy smile on my face if that's my gifting. You know why? Because I'm enough. God can use my enough. And it's not about me. It's not about me. So guess what? Today, week one, growth track. You can go to Growth Track right after service, right across the hall. This gentleman right here in the front row, he leads Growth Track. He'll tell you where to go. It's not about us. As Christ followers, it's not about us. And how do you remember that? We serve. We serve. And so um, for each one of these, I'm going to have someone come up and talk about how this particular thing has helped them to stay free in their walk with Jesus and not create barriers. And so um, I've invited, you got the mic? Oh, the mic is missing. Oh, okay. I've invited uh, my friend and really my pseudo daughter, okay? I'm not old enough to be her mom. Please don't think that. But Taylor I've lived with, literally, she's lived in our home. I've known her since we were in middle school or not we, I'm not old enough to, yeah. Okay, I'm not old enough to be your mom, but I also wasn't in middle school with you, okay? Figure it out. Um, I've known her since she was in middle school and I've watched this young lady walk through some of the most difficult situations a person can imagine. I've seen her overcome and overcome and overcome and overcome and there's really no good reason why she's in church today other than, Jesus. Jesus. And so Taylor, I want you to share how serving has kept you from being in bondage. But I also want to tell you something. You have a purpose in this life. You have a purpose in this church. You have a purpose in this community. And don't you for a second think that the enemy, don't let him, don't let him tell you any different. You rise up. You rise up, you use the voice that God has given you to speak truth and life into every situation. You were created for this. I'll try to make this quick because I could go on and on and on and on. But I'll start with a story. A couple months ago, um, this girl, she came to the well for the first time. um, And I decided I was going to be intentional with her. It was her first time. I noticed that she was new. How can I serve her? How can I 
help her feel welcomed, important, special, valued, all of these things. And so we had our cluster talks at the end of our message and I was just giving her that space to, to share. And a couple of weeks later, she opened up to us and she said, that night that I came, I wanted to end my life, but I decided to go there instead. And it just makes me wonder if we haven't served her, if we hadn't have made her feel welcomed and special and put her above me that night, would she have still been here? Would she have experienced that love of Jesus? It's not about me. How can I help you? This is the question that I ask, how can I help? How can I serve you? It could be a physical task. It could be lending a shoulder for them to cry on. It doesn't matter. Jesus, how can I serve you by serving them? Yeah. That's what, that's my goal. Every time I go to my, the ministry I serve in or even in my everyday life, how can I serve you by serving them? Because it's not about me. Yeah. It's not about me in that moment. I'm not thinking, how can I be recognized? How at the end of this, are people gonna look at me and be like, wow, she did a good thing. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus in that moment, not about yeah. me. Yeah, so good. Go to growth track. Taylor went to growth track and now she serves at the well. She serves on staff at our daycare and I can tell you she serves everywhere she goes. She serves. I don't know if growth track did all of that for you, but I think it, <laughs> it helped, it helped. All right, number two. Remember that you are enough. How do we do this practically? You saw the really cool bumper video before service about this. Get into a life group. Get into a life group. Because this is twofold. Your life group is designed to be community for you that can speak into your life when you're at your lowest of lows. If you choose to be vulnerable with them, they can be the difference between the right path and the wrong path, quite frankly. But also, when you get to a point where you're, because we all have this, it's a tension we constantly live with as Christ followers. When we get to a point where our works are becoming more important than our worship to our Savior, they can also speak into that. And we like to be told how good we are when we're at our lows. We do not like to be told we need to chill out when we're not. And so I encourage you, get into a life group. If you're in a life group, I encourage you, go there with your life group. Don't allow yourself to become offended when people say the hard things to you. What's a good step in remembering that you are enough and that God is more than enough? Get in a life group. And so uh, to talk about this, uh, okay, here's, the, here's another thing, fully transparent. I'm not in a life group. And so when I was writing this message, I was literally sitting in the office and I was weeping because I was telling you to do something I'm not doing myself. So guess what? I'll be the first one in line at that life group fair and I'm gonna find me a life group and I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna show up because I was in a life group and guess what? I didn't show up. I made excuse after excuse after excuse as to why I was too busy to be in community. No excuse, no excuse. I will be at the life group fair, watch me. I will be in a life, maybe I'll be in two life groups because community is so important and I'm so convicted. 
All right, here we go. To talk about life groups, I've invited a friend of mine up who has done a lot of life with me, especially this summer. Um, Alyssa serves on our team at CSM. And so she not only leads a life group for students, which by the way, we have life groups for students. They're called fans. That's how important they are. We have life groups for students. You know what? Your kids, they break up into groups at the end of every message because life together is important. And in those little groups, that is the beginnings. That is, that, those are baby life groups. Baby life groups. But they talk about how their goldfish died and they need help. Okay? And Alyssa has done leading a, a high school fam, which is not for the faint of heart. But she's also highly involved in a life group herself. And this woman is a woman of incredible integrity and character. I believe that she's better for being in community with others. And Alyssa, I wanna tell you something. Serving alongside of you in different capacities throughout the summer has made me realize what a gem you are. You have a smile that makes people know that you're friendly, but your heart is, there's nothing that compares. So you lead well by loving well. And I thank you for that. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. <laughs> thank you. Oh my gosh. So many kind words. You can't talk like that before I'm supposed to say something to people. Um, anyway, uh, if you know me, um, I have a husband. His name is Matt. And he and I both really, really value being in community. And um, part of that is because it was modeled in the church that we were at before we came here. Um, and then, of course, when we decided to come here, part of the reason we have stayed here is because of the community that we have found. So some examples of how I have seen God work in my life personally, in our first life group, uh, Matt and I were not married yet when we started in that life group, but we were surrounded by couples, a few of them attend here now, um, who were already married. And their integrity with how they held their relationship helped Matt and I to hold um, yeah. the integrity before we got married to remain like pure until after we got married yeah. because we were stumbling before that like pure honestly we, we were stumbling but then being surrounded with yeah. with people who are holding that as you know crucial to their relationship in their marriage I I didn't I didn't want to do that anymore and neither yeah. did Matt and you can as an adult you know that it's hard to go back on that yeah. for a significant amount of time. And we did only because of Jesus and because of the community that we had. Yeah. So that's like the first example. And that yeah. was eight years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. And since we have come here, the life group that we have spent time with, are in, they're in the same season of life. We both have a two, we have, Matt and I have a two and a five-year-old. And several of the families that we're doing life with also have young children. Y'all know that it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the times that we feel the most low and the most frustrated in our parenting, those Wednesday nights that we get together and can be like, oh my gosh, I feel exhausted. I have nothing left to give my two wonderfully energetic and exhausting children. <laughs> um, there's, there's nothing different than being able to, yeah. to say those hard things. Yeah. And our life group has always come around us and been like, yeah, it's hard. This is what we're going through too. And knowing, like you said, that you're not alone. Yeah. It's, you can't match that. Like yeah. we can do it together. And I know life groups look different, right? There's some life groups that you're not in the same stage or you're not in the same age and all that stuff. But God knits together life groups purposefully because the people you're with, he has planned. Yeah. He has, he's made that purposely That's for good. you. 
So maybe your life group looks like working out on a Monday night and that discussion afterward. Yeah, hey girl. <laughs> That's a plug for hey girl. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's fun. Come sometime. Um, that looks vastly different, right, than sitting in a circle with parents and talking yeah. about parenting. I know the guys have another one that has some other name, but there's life groups specifically made for you that God wants you to take a part in. Yeah. And so I don't know. Honestly, I don't know how people do life without life group because that's like not I well. get filled up by that. You not know? well. They do it not well. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But I don't have any other, like, big significant stories, that's all, other than God wants you to be in community. And yeah. once you are, the freedom you experience in that is unmatched. Yeah, so. it's good. Get in a life group. If you don't like any of the life groups, lead a life group. Right? I don't know if I'll lead a life group, but I'll definitely be in one. Number three, remember to trust God. What is a practical step for remembering to trust God? I can tell you, it starts tomorrow. 21 days of prayer, okay? You wanna remember how to trust God? You wanna get, you wanna get good with Jesus? Pray, talk to him. Be intentional. Listen, we're going to have the church open in the mornings. On Wednesday nights, we're going to have prayer services or worship services, depending on the week. You want to be here every chance you get. Because why? We draw from the faith that comes only by sacrificing and trusting God. There's going to be opportunities for you to submit prayer requests. That's putting trust in God, like, all right, God, I'm gonna write this down and let people pray over it. You don't have to put your name on it, but you could if you wanted, and people will pray over you. And so be at 21 days of prayer. Be here every Wednesday night at seven. Be here every Wednesday night at 6.50, because it starts at seven, and you want coffee, and a good seat, because listen, guys, 21 days of prayer will change your life. It will change your life. And so to, to tell you how it can change your life or give you an example of how it can change your life, I've invited my friends, Nick and Emily Shaw, to come up and share with you about the 21 days of prayer and how it has helped them stay free. These two individuals, second to none. I don't know if you know, but Nick does all of the cool stuff you see here at the church. He's our communications director. He makes everybody look good all the time. All the time. He's often behind the scenes. He has a very thankless job. But it's a very important job because it's because of him we are able to send this message far and wide. We're able to reach people for Jesus that we never were able to reach before because of this man's work. And then there's Emily. And can I tell you, Emily works at the daycare now, but even before then, she has been one of the most loyal human beings I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Emily, you're incredible. Absolutely incredible. This, you are the epitome of see a need and meet it. You are the epitome of an Aaron and her. You hold up the arms of leaders time and time again so that when they go into battle, they are supported. They, are, they felt loved. They feel backed. They feel encouraged. I'm not trying to make you cry, but I kind of hope you cry because you know what? You also work behind the scenes in a very intentional way. And um, this place wouldn't be what it is without you too. What 
So let, I'm going to let them talk. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I understand now how hard this is after Ashley says so many nice things about both of you. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name's Nick. This is my wife, Emily. Um, we're all around here. You'll find us somewhere. But my story, or our story, comes specifically out of 21 Days of Prayer. Um, and so we got married in 2014. Um, now, fast forward 2020, we are not like super young, um, like wannabe, just living life, traveling all over the world people. We're ready um, to have a kid. Uh, we're ready to have our first child. And, um, and so we prayed about it for a while waiting on God's timing. And, um, and so January of 2020, during the 21 days of prayer, that was our prayer, was let 2020 be the year um, that we, we have a child and we get pregnant. And um, so we spent 21 days of prayer really focused on that. And we attended the Wednesday night services. We had people pray over us. Um, and then six months later, the August 21, 21 days of prayer comes by and um, we still have no child and we have no child in sight. Um, she's not pregnant, and um, we've been trying real hard. As you know, COVID shut the world down, so there's not much else to do. And, uh, and uh, so we were trying our best uh, to make that happen. And I remember in August thinking, like, Lord, um, we heard you say, we both heard you clearly say um, that this was the year and this was the time. And, and um and it's not happening, and I'm beginning to get a little discouraged, but I'm still trusting you. And with these 21 days of prayer, we'll continue our focus, and we'll continue praying about that. We'll submit the prayer requests for Wednesday nights and, and all that. And um, fast forward six more months to the January 20, 2021, 20, 21 days of prayer, and there was still no baby and no pregnancy. And um, we had, I'm not going to lie, we had lost hope, I think. Um, by that point, because we had heard God say, um, this will happen, and it wasn't. Um, and so we resolved, maybe we misunderstood you, God. Maybe we misheard you. Um, we're going to come into the 21 days of prayer, not, we're going to still pray for having a kid, but we're going to leave it up to you. And whatever happens, happens. And if this isn't meant for us, then you will um, illuminate something else that, that is for us. Um, and so I remember clearly we submitted our prayer card and on a Wednesday night, Ashley here actually read it on stage and um, prayed for us and prayed for some other people who are struggling with the same thing. Um, and I thought, you know, like that's great, but we've been through this and it's not, I don't, I don't know that this is for us, um, but wouldn't you know it? Uh, one month later, my wife uh, surprised me in our kitchen, essentially screamed and threw a pregnancy test at me and said, we're pregnant. Um, and we have our son Oliver now, who's nearly two, and he's just a handful, but he's so great. Yeah. And we wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Uh, but my encouragement to all of you is to lean in during 21 days of prayer and keep pursuing what God has for you. Yeah. Because you might not hear an answer during this 21 days of prayer, but that doesn't mean you won't hear an answer ever. Yeah, that's good. That's good. See how incredible they are? All right, I'm done. I've done all that I can do. Now is the point where God does what only he can do. So, hey, if you, um, if, you're, if you would call yourself a Christ follower in the room, which I think most of us would, lean in. There's always something that you can do to maintain your freedom. 
And so I've given you three practical steps. If you'd say, I'm doing all three of those, well, keep doing them. Keep doing them. You heard from Nick, like it wasn't, it wasn't 21 days the first time that God answered the prayer. It was a miracle in motion. And it was just as much a miracle that, the, that their son was born, but I think it was almost even more of a miracle that they learned persistence that they learned to continually call on God even when they don't see the fruit. They planted the seed, but they didn't see the fruit. And can I tell you, the day you plant the seed is not the day that you get the fruit. And so these 21 days, I encourage you, sorry, be here, be engaged, be tuned in. Get in a life group and go to growth track and serve others. And then more things will open up for you to do, to continue to be free. But if you would say in this room, you would say, I'm not a Christ follower. I don't know how I ended up here today, really. Um, Or I don't know how I ended up on the stream today, really. Can I tell you, it is not by accident that you are here in the room or you're watching online. God has a plan and a purpose for your life greater than you could ever imagine. And if you wanna experience freedom, because I would, I would say, I'm gonna say it pretty confidently because this is what I know to be true. When we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are just as much bound up as we are when we're bound up in religion, okay? Because there are things that we run to. We are, nat- we are wired to trust something. And maybe you are trusting a relationship that isn't Jesus. Maybe you are trusting a substance that is not taking you anywhere. Maybe you are trusting a bank account that is not looking like what you thought it would. And it will never, it never will. If you're putting your trust in anything other than the, the Messiah, the savior of the world, I would be remiss not to tell you today that that is the most important decision that you can make. And it is the only way to freedom. The only way. There is no other way. So we're gonna pray and then we're gonna worship out. If I could have my prayer partners come forward now. I'm gonna pray first for all of us in the room that would say, all right, I've been set free by the king. I've been set free by the savior, but I need to be a little bit better about not allowing myself to build up the barrier between me and God. And I need to be a little bit better about remembering that he, that he is more than enough, that I am enough, that I can trust him and that he's a good God. If that would be you in the room, I'm gonna pray for you, but then next I'm gonna pray for all the people that wanna say, I want to put my trust in a savior. That's why we exist. We are a church building here because we believe and we know that, we, that Jesus is the only way, he's the truth, he's the life, and we exist for you to be in this seat today. So we're gonna pray together, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, that you are a God that sees us exactly where we are at. You knit us together. You created us. You designed us exactly as we are. And so God, right now, we we just lay aside every hindrance that has kept us from fully pursuing you, from being uncomfortable really, because we've put up barriers that that are almost like protection for us. 
Because to be face-to-face with our Savior is vulnerable and it's raw and it's real. And so God, I pray that you would help us all to just come unhinged really and say no more. God, I'm gonna trust the uncomfortable walk that you lead us in. I'm gonna trust the vulnerable situations that you put us in. I'm gonna trust that your plan is greater than my plan and there's no works or things I could ever do to gain my way into your kingdom. I've already secured my salvation by putting my trust in you. So God, help me not to add to it with my own agenda and just to trust you and just to follow you.